Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. So good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem and to our evening Wednesday night Bible study from wherever you're joining us. Uh, it's great to have you here. It's also great to be community. It's great for uh, the uh, community is a lot larger than we actually think. And so it's a delight that you wrestle the texts with us. And we pray that uh, you'll be blessed just as much as we will uh, as uh, we study the Bible to know more about the Lord and more about his Messiah, our Lord and Master. We acknowledge that the Spirit is present. The Messiah, Jesus, is present amongst us where two or three are gathered. We're going to welcome him and bless him. And uh, Brother David from England will pray us in. O Sovereign Lord God Almighty, O Abba Father, we thank you for another beautiful day that we can spend in fellowship with brothers and sisters, Father. We thank you, Father, for such a privilege, Abba. We ask you, Father, that as Aaron brings your word uh, about Leviticus today, Father, that you'll open up our hearts to receive what you're telling us, Father. Open up our hearts, Father, to understand you more, to receive you more, Father, to know you more, Father. And we ask you, Father, to reveal yourself through your amazing, amazing law, Father, your beautiful law, Lord, that we may get to know you more and get to know each other more and to draw closer to you, Abba. And, Father, we ask you to absolutely anoint Aaron's voice, anoint his mind, anoint his heart, Lord, so that he speaks your every word, Lord. As he opens his mouth, Lord, you speak through him to us, Father. And we thank you for his time. We bless Aaron, and we thank you for his wonderful heart and his way of teaching for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, guys, we have in this study um, over the... um, many years that we've been meeting together. We've wrestled with the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the epistles to the Corinthians, uh, to the Thessalonians. We've looked at Daniel. Uh, we've looked at uh, Deuteronomy, Galatians, and now we're back in uh, the Hebrew Bible, back in the Torah, looking at the third book, Leviticus, um, which in, in, in my opinion is uh, probably one of the best books of the Bible. And how would I dare make such a claim, I hear you ask. Uh, fair enough. Um, usually when we say the word Leviticus, it's a bit like saying, you know, what, what do you want to read before trying to fall asleep? Numbers. That'll, that'll do you in every single time. Um, uh, you, you think of the book of Leviticus and all you can think of is, well, as soon as my house has got mold, I really should burn it down. What has that got to do with me? What has that got to do with God? Uh, why is it still in the Bible? And um, yet. The Messiah, Jesus himself, our Lord and our Master, said that every part of this book talks about him. The volumes of this text is, is about me. And, uh, and so there's something in these texts that reflects the Messiah. And as we study, we discover that many of the really cool verses that we all like to quote, like love your neighbor as yourself, they're from Leviticus. And um, when, we, when we start the Bible, we, uh, we, we read Genesis and we see that God is a creator and that he works with families. And then we read Exodus and we see that he's a redeemer and he's very powerful and he can challenge the kings of the world. And he's a lawgiver. He can 
He can give a law, a law that is like no other, no other society had a law like the Torah. In fact, all of Western civilization still models its law on God's law. There is no society that has uh, its equal. It just doesn't exist. But when you get to Leviticus, only Leviticus tells you that God is holy. And that is a very special thing. Leviticus tells us that the God that we worship is holy and that he's good and that his heart is good. And he has incredible uh, attention and love for the, the humans that he has created. And so uh, uh, I, I really appreciate uh, this book because of a, a lot of the, the, um, the inyan, the intentions that are behind many of these laws. And I hope that as we wrestle with each one, we discover more about God, more about what God requires of us. Because remember, as followers of the God and followers of the Messiah, one of our jobs is to imitate him. We really want to try and be like and act more like him. Um, and so I think Leviticus is one of the best books. So I'm, I'm now going to ask uh, our rabbi, Rabbi, when you were first uh, going into the, uh, the schooling world, the, the Jewish schooling world, which book of the Bible did they start you on? Exactly the same book, Vaikra. Uh, you start with this book, not Bereshit, Genesis, because the Torah basically relies on the Vaikra. All the laws are written in this book. So basically you start as a kid, with the Leviticus. And, and how old were you, brother? Well, when I did this, it's almost your uh, bit uh, before your bar mitzvah age. Okay. So kind of like when you're eight or nine, ten, yeah. the first book of the Bible that you start in the Jewish world is Leviticus. That's correct. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? You don't pick up, you know, like normally you'd think, okay, I'm going to pick up the Bible. Where should I start? Well, start at the beginning. Start with Genesis. Nope. Start with Leviticus. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Um, it's called in Hebrew, Vayikra, which is the, the, the first words of the text. And he called. And, um, and so why, what, what does that, that uh, expression lead for you? Like, the name of the book, and he called. Who's calling? Hashem is calling. The Lord is calling. God is calling. So the book could have been called anything, but this is the calling. Now, that when you, when you put that, that phrase down to the title of the book, suddenly changes a little bit more the way you view it. This is a calling. God is calling you to something, not just something that's being imposed upon you. You could answer the call if you want to. You can say no if you want to. You don't have to accept the call if you want to. But it's a calling. And there's something that you can walk out and walk into. It's just from my perspective, I think what you've just said is so powerful. It's just hit me. Because it says in the Bible very clearly in the New Testament, and those that he predestined, he called. Yes. And I just suddenly link that to what's God out move into that new kingdom, into salvation of his son. God calls us, and this book is that calling. Called and chosen. Excellent. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Leviticus, and then I'm going to share screen with um, 
that little uh, uh, file that uh, Shimshon sent. And Shimshon's going to give us an overview of the uh, chiastic form of the book. And then we will begin our study. Sound good, guys? Excellent. All right. So Leviticus chapter 1, best book of the Bible. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and, the, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and they shall throw the blood upon the sides of the altar and at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. Oof. And its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, then the sheep of the goats, he shall be a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is in the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, fruit offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons, and the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head. Oh, that's brutal. And he'll burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained on the sides of the altar and shall remove its crop, its contents, and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar and on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Wow, there you go. Oh, my gosh. Verse chapter 1, and straight away, blood, guts, and gore. I can see why people just want to close this book and, and move on to the Gospels. It seems a whole lot, a whole lot better. But there's actually a lot more than, uh, than you think. So during the week, Shimshon sent me uh, an email with this PDF. This is a structure of the book in its chiastic uh, form. Would you be able to describe what we're looking at, Shimshon? Oh, did we lose Shimshon? Yeah. Oh, we did too. I wonder where he went. Okay. Well, I don't want to steal his thunder, but when he get, does come back, we'll go in, in, in uh, to that. So while we... Um, we wait for him to, to, to come in. Based on a literal reading of the text we just read, what is it that stands out? What is it that you notice or notice for the very first time? Or is there something you always notice, everything, every time you read this text? This is what we call the Peshat, the literal reading of the text. 
one of the, the, the first ways of reading the Bible is just to do, do literal, and then we move into the deeper levels. Evita, you've got a hand raised? Um, more a question than an ob observation. I, I'm curious as to how, what the Lord meant by uh, put, you, put the wood in order. Uh, that's a good question. I don't, I actually, I really don't know. We're discussing a, um, a, 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 what they call the sacrificial system. So there seems to be a, uh, quite a machinery that uses this system of people who have to go get the wood, arrange the wood, uh, uh, constantly stoke the fire, keep the fire eternally burning, etc., etc. But in terms of like arranging, I have no idea. Could have been arranged in a specific pattern? Is that what you're hinting at? Or? Yeah, it, it, it seems that uh, when, I, when I think of uh, Torah, or I think of Leviticus, the, the Lord God is so very specific according to a set pattern that he even says put the wood in order. So I was just curious if, if, if that had to be a type of wood and a pattern. So that's I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to say yes, because if there's a detail in the text, there must be a reason why. Do you understand barbecue? Do I understand barbecue? I'm an Australian. I think that the only people that are better at us at it are the South Africans. Well, if, 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 if you've ever cooked anything over an open fire, you'll realize that the pattern of the fire and the placement of the wood makes a difference in making sure the heat is uniform and that you have a flat surface to cook on. Otherwise, you would not get a uniform uh, sacrifice. You may sure. have some burnt, some unburnt material. It's just, I, I don't know, just looking at it at the, at the very top level, it makes perfect sense that if you're going to have a sacrifice and it's all to be consumed, then the structure of the fire is critical to that. It could be sure. a TP fire. I find if you're going to do anything for God, then you should do it well. If you're going to do anything, whether, whether you're going to work for him in a coffee shop, and you're going to do that as unto the Lord, then you're not just going to stum make coffee, you know, who cares whether the milk's hot enough or not. No, 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 no. You're going to get it correct. And, um, and if you're serving the Lord and you're going to put wood on and you're going to build a fire, then you're going to make sure that it's correct, even down to arranging wood, especially if this is for God. And if we're going to take that to our personal lives, then that makes just about everything that we do, even the minutia that we do around our homes. If we're doing it as unto the Lord, then it has to be done in the best way possible, with the, the best of intentions, with the best of enthusiasm, with the idea to make it as good as you possibly can, as though the Lord was going to walk into your home and, and, and come and sit and have coffee with you. You would want your house to be to be. Perfect. Yes. Jim Sean, you're here. Can I, I add you. something on this? Yes, go right ahead, Brad. <clears throat> I kind of agree with Tom Fields. First of all, you need uh, wood to perform the sacrifice because there are burnt offerings. But secondly, the wood basically comes from the Adama. So Adama, and we come from the Adama too. You know, the first man called Adam. So we, mankind, have a very special relationship with the Adama. That's why when we finish the Shabbos, we do Vesamim. So we smell some uh, good spices, uh, flower, uh, flowers to welcome the new week. So 
So the Adama is that important, and it's uh, one of the biggest uh, blessings in uh, Judaism. When you eat potatoes, carrots, you say a special praying, saying, "Blessed are you, Lord, King of the Universe, who creates the fruits of the Adama, the the land." So it's that important. I think that's why God wanted to use the Adama as part of these offerings to basically tie us up. Okay. Cool, great. Shimshon, hand raise. Yeah, we when 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 the when the Torah says that we should put um, the words properly, I think it's it's trying to give us a, a kind of mindset when we are dealing with the kovanot, um, with the respect we have for God, um, not just to throw the words and put it wishy washy and it's looking very disorganized, um, just like you mentioned. We, we need to put the, the, the reverence of God in it. And um, if we're going to do anything for God, that means we should be diligent about it. We should put in the kind of effort we will put to get the best from it. And of course, if we don't put in the proper um, efforts, um, just like the theory of the, of the barbecue is, I mean, you're not going to get the right fire to... To, to do the Koban very well, you know. So I, I believe that God wants us to put that um, reference of him in what we're doing. Because it's not just uh, an exercise, but it's a way of communicating with him. Perfect. Shimshon, while I've got you here, can we, have we go with this? During the week, um, Shimshon sent me an email and sent me this PDF. For those that are listening online, the file should be, uh, available to you as well. Um, so, Shimshon, can you describe what we're looking at, the uh, diastic form that the book uh, comes in? Yes, thank you, Aaron. Uh, thank you, everyone. Um, the Chiasm is a, is a um, poetic literature style of writing that is very common in the Bible, especially you see it in the book of um, Psalms a lot, but also in other books in the Torah, even the prophets use it. Um, but kiasim is from a Greek word that has to do with the letter ki. But in our own English alphabet, it's like the X, letter X. And so when you see the letter X, or like what you have on your screen, you have this um, structure in such a way that um, the middle of it is cut into an X form. And um, it kind of highlights from the outer core down into the uh, most inner core. And um, it gives what we call a very good way to remember um, what you're reading, but also it kind of give a kind of emphasis to the most um, inner structure or inner verse or phrase. Um, when we do kiasim um, or when it is used, it doesn't have to be the same words. Um, or phrase, but it, it has to be the same concept. It has to have the same concept on both sides. Um, for instance, I will start from the middle um, phrase where we have the um, 10, X there, um, happens to come in the X, <laughs> that is the chaotic structure. Um, it's a regulation assuring holiness. That's what we get if you go to chapter 19 of the book of um, Leviticus. It just gives us regulations that will ensure that we live a holy life. Then when you back out, chapter 18 and chapter 20 are actually talking about 
um, sex crimes, uh, um, laws pertaining to sex and um, how to deal with um, sexual um, issues. Then if you back out a bit also, you have prohibition of profane slaughter uh, and blood. And if you go down um, in chapter 21, you have sanctity of the priesthood. So you're talking about what, um, how to slaughter blood and which has to do with the priesthood. Then you back out a bit also, you'll be talking about the day of atonement in chapter 16. Uh, which is Yom Kippur, and you're talking about the qualification of animal sacrifices for, for Yom Kippur, which is also part of the um, sacrifices you do on the Yom Kippur and other Muadins. Then we go uh, along that pattern and we move down to the uh, outermost shell of the core where we have um, the laws on sacrifices and the laws of vows and tight. You can see that those two at the outer court, they have um, a similar concept and that it continues to go inside. They will continue to have that same pattern until you come to the middle. Then the middle will always give you the whole essence of the book, the whole essence of the book, because I mean, there are so many topics here and there and there and there. And um, in a study, you might be lost in it, but when you use the chaotic structure to look at it, then you can look at the middle point of the book and you say, this is all the essence that this book is trying to achieve. It's trying to achieve that we, holiness is ensured in us. I mean, if we look in so many of the scripture that um, this book pertains, it talks about be holy for I am holy. God continues to repeat that in Leviticus 11, um, 44 to 45, Leviticus 9, verse 2, Leviticus 20, verse 7, Leviticus um, 20, verse 26, Leviticus 21, verse 8. All those places continue to give us that be holy for I am holy. And, you know, God will talk like, for instance, it will say, um, um, be holy uh, for I am holy, honor your father and your mother, and began to tell you how to relate to people. Uh, then the other place he would say, don't eat all these things that are non-kosher because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So it continues to give you that every rule is given for you to be holy. There is actually the reason for you to live that holy life to achieve it is all embedded in the book of Leviticus. Um, like um, Rabbi OCs um, shared in the uh, Midrash Rabbah, you know, like uh, Mordecai shared earlier on, um, the child is supposed to start with the book of Leviticus. And he was, uh, and he asked the question and he gave the answer like they do in the Midrash. He says, why does the child have to start this um, reading? He says, because the child is holy and the Koban, the Kobanot are holy. And so he says, let the holy, Come to the holy. And so you see that once we look at the book of Leviticus, we are actually aspiring to be holy as God. We are trying to come with him with the pureness of our heart. And he also is having mercy upon us and is imputing his um, holiness upon us so that we can achieve that holiness. Thank you all. Hey, thank you very much. That was excellent. So there you go. So that's the, for those who are not familiar with the chiastic structure or the method of looking at a book, the central part of this book, Leviticus 19, and, uh, and where all the, the, some of the best laws, uh, the, the heart of the Lord is, is indeed found. So um, hope you can download that uh, PDF.
and have a look at it at a later time and use it as a resource as we continue. So I'd like to look at verse um, one. Ready for this? Here we go. I'm going to read it in Hebrew, and then I'm going to make a, a comment and uh, see how we go. So, Vayikai el Moshe ve'yidera Adonai love me ohel moed le'emor. So now the Lord said to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, there are three verbs to speak or to say in the one sentence. Hmm. Uh, it seems like a bit of an overkill. Yeah. You know, it's like, why doesn't it just, now remember, in, in, when, when, when Jewish commentators look at the Bible, they ask what's not in the text just as much as what is. So they would say, why do you need to say, speak three times i mean seriously and why use three different verbs why don't you just say the lord spoke to moses and then just start but there's something there's the the bible obviously has a reason and uh and, definitely yeah and and, and so the first the first thing of course vayikra and he called okay? it's not and he and he started speaking and we, you know, and here comes the the monologue. Okay, the monologue is going to be in Deuteronomy, but the first sent the first word, and he called. This is a calling. Everything we're doing is a calling. Even the laws, the Torah, the instruction of God, is a calling, and that changes the way you look at the text almost instantly. Well, I hope and that is that. Correct. <laughs> Um, I would like to say something about this, if it's okay. Yep. So, uh, he, and he called Moshe, meaning he purposely wanted to talk with Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not chatting. It's not just talking about some good stuff. He calls him directly. And at the end of the Exodus, we already have learned that the tabernacle had been built and it was full of Shekhinah, God's divine presence. And because of the Shekhinah, Moshe Rabbeinu was so afraid to go into the tabernacle and the tent of the meeting. So God decided to call him purposely to tell him that everything was okay, that he wants to talk with him. And there is an Aleph at the end of the Vaikra with an Aleph, but in Numbers 23:16, when God speaks to Balaam, Bileam, Balaam in Hebrew, uh, in English, he just says Vayikar without an Aleph. The oral Torah explains that God had to spoke with Balaam uh, but without an Aleph because God didn't want to speak to him uh, lovingly but God called Moshe Vayikra with an Aleph because God loved to speak with Moshe Rabbeinu. So there's a difference in the Hebrew verse of it. And and I have also an answer for these three speaking Daber things, Reverend. If you want, I can explain it or I can have a pause here or any question. Yeah. Does everyone understand um, uh, what the, our rabbi friend was mentioning? That you have, you have two verbs, the same, well, the same verb, Vayikra, but for some reason one has an Aleph and one doesn't. Now, when Jewish people read the text, they go, hang on a second, something's wrong. What's going on here? And then they got to come up with a reason. And one of the reasons is um, 
when we're when we're just when God's calling, it's a it's a calling that involves love, a calling that involves uh, purpose, a calling that involves courage and security. And uh, even though God is incredibly powerful, and His Shekinah would, would you know His righteousness would just lay us waste as soon as we walked into His presence, He says, "No, no, no, come! I've, I've actually got something to say." And so this is quite beautiful. You might ask, how did he call him? By saying his name twice, Moshe, Moshe. And how did the Moshe Rabbeinu answer? Hineni, I'm here. Just like Yeremiah. Just like Abraham, yeah. And Adam, too. And Adam. Mm -hmm. And to answer your question, Rev Aaron, why God had to say Daber, blah, blah, many things. Here's a very good explanation in oral Torah. It okay. says, when God wished to cover several topics in the same communications, he paused in order to give Moshe Rabbeinu time to absorb and understand each topic before proceeding to the next. These pauses are indicated by the spaces between paragraphs in the written Torah. You probably have seen it, that the written Torah has many paragraphs between the parashats. So it's basically in this Vaikra, God wanted to talk about several topics, as we will see now, and God just spoke by having pauses. Yeah. Okay, so for those that can't see, um, probably can't see, but when you read Hebrew, there's, there's gaps. And uh, there's actually no real reason why they should be there. Not really, because Hebrew doesn't have punctuation. It should just flow. But there are gaps within the sentences, within paragraphs, and, and no one knows what they are. So, and yet, whenever Jewish people copy a new Torah, they measure the gaps and they make sure that they're exactly the same, that they're exactly in exactly the right place. Because even though I don't know the reason why they're there, they must be important. So they, they keep them in there, and, uh, which is very interesting. Okay. So the Lord calls. It's a calling. Now that he's got Moses into his presence. Okay, so what we're looking at in the screen, for those that um, are on podcast land, um, we're looking at a Torah scroll. We see the uh, columns of text, and yet the columns of texts have gaps. Many gaps, yeah. And there is, there is literally no reason why they should be there. Okay, then punctuation, like we understand punctuation, there's no sentences, there's no capitals, there's no, you know, those sort of things don't exist as we, as we understand that. In, in, there's no commas, um, yet sometimes a sentence flows and sometimes a sentence just stops and continues the next line down. Why? We don't know. But I can tell you now that, that every time one of these scrolls is made, it is made exactly the same. Because they that, that's how much they value the, the, the Bible. Okay, so let's have a look at this first sentence still. So Moshe and God calls to Moses. It's a it's a um, a calling. and I love, and God will speak with him, and he will speak from Moed, from the tent of meeting. meeting. Okay, everyone has the word meeting. Could it be uh... It's congregation. It's a congregation. synagogue congregation. meeting. Congregation. I have congregation. You have congregation. Tend of congregation. Yeah. Meeting. Okay. So, Nama, what's your understanding of the word Moed? 
I think it's a divine appointment. Like, divine appointment. Yes, that's part of it. The tent of time, divine timing, divine timing. Yeah, yeah. What is the what's a, a in the Shorish? Um, what's the what's another uh, uh, possibility? Yeah, the tent, the tent, the, the tent well. of witness. Yeah. I've got testimony in the other one. I've got testimony in that one. Oh, have you? Yeah. So t- uh, the, the the tent of testimony is a, is probably another translation that's, of whatever you want to say. It. Study Bible, sir. It's a very it's a, it's a very it's it's got an ayin in it, and and usually that means that it's a very old biblical Hebrew word. Modern Hebrew has a tendency to use lots of alephs, um, uh, and so this is the tent of meeting, the tent of witness, the tent of appointment. There's a lot of these things. Um, what do you think should have been the word used? If we're going to meet Moses and God together in a tent, what would you have called it? Remember, what's not there is just as important as what is there. Tent of his presence. Uh, the Mishkan. The Mishkan. There you go, Shimshon. Yes, because when we built the darn thing in Exodus, what did we call it? Tabernacle. Yeah, the tabernacle. But that's not what we're calling it here. And you go, okay, well, where actually are we, Moses? Are we actually in the Mishkan or are we actually okay, somewhere yeah, else? I thought that the Ochel, whatever the tent of meeting was different than the, than the tabernacle. Me too. I thought it was on the side. People could always go to it. Shimshon, do you know where the tent of meeting is, is written about in the Torah? The, the tent of meeting? Um, I mean, it's written here. It's when they came oh, to talk to him. about the building, the construction. No, no. Uh, let's have a look at um, Exodus 33. When the 70, when they, whatever, they would consult with Moses at the tent, and, and, and Joshua was sitting basically right next to him. Yeah, so if we have a look at, yeah, okay, correct. In Exodus 33, starting at verse 7, for those of you I've, in, in my uh, super-duper ESV, um, I've got a title, which, of course, doesn't actually occur in the original, but hey. You know, why not add words to your Bible? I say, um, uh, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just read Exodus thirty-three seven uh, to eleven. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Ohel moed. Well, moed. Yep. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp. Now, we normally, we, this normally just blows our mind because normally we think of the, the tabernacle, the Mishkan, as being right in the middle, it's in the center. Um, we're actually still constructing it. But here we find there's another tent, a prior tent, that's sitting outside the camp. Wherever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and they would worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. There's a lot. 
But the simple <laughs> meaning of Mo'ed actually is just a, a point of time. Yes. A special it, it, time. Correct. Its simple time. meaning is, is related to time. That is correct. So the, the Chagim are called the uh, Chag Mo'ed. The synonym. The Mo'adim, yeah. Yeah, the Mo'adim. Okay. But the Tent of Meeting. So there's this, there's this other building that's called the Tent of Meeting. And I guess that's where they first met while they were constructing the Mishkan. So we don't 100% know which tent we're talking about here when we're talking about the Ohel Moed. It could be the Mishkan. And if that's true, then, then that creates a nice little psycho uh, theological point. Uh, or it could be while they're still constructing it, God God told Moshe all of Leviticus. But we'll see. What's the, what's the Jewish interpretation? Uh, well, it says it was already constructed, and some say it was the, the tabernacle, and there are some minorities say that it was another tent that Moshe Rabbeinu went. It was a, a more specific and holier tent that was out of the camp. So two different options. But Lambam says it was the same, same tabernacle, you know. Okay. Yep. Two different options. But I think because, as you read, it says Moshe went up to the the tent out of the camp, so it's very, and we know that the tabernacle was in the middle of the camp and all the tribes were settled around it, so it should be in another tent out of the camp. Hmm. And I can, if you want to get a little more philosophical, uh, Moed, you asked me for the root, this is why I said goal, because it comes from the word Ya'ad, and Ya'ad, I mean, you took it to Ed, you broke it down into two pieces, but um, it means, like Ya'ad means destiny goal like they in um a meaning of like something you're aiming for or something yeah. no that's like good. a tabernacle um, yeah the, 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 yeah. the, the tent of destiny yeah, yeah. Okay. go go to the lord this yeah. is your destiny that's kind of cool but so we have a tent that moshe builds okay it's outside the camp and joshua's in there and moses is inside the tent and, and who's on the outside? The altar is there. And Moshe the, 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 the Everyone else. Everyone else. Okay. Well, what, what, is, what, did, what did Exodus 33 say? Where did the pillar of cloud come and where did it stand? In the doorway. Yes. So did it go inside? No. Mm-mm. Okay. In the, in, the, in the Mishkan, where's the pillar of cloud? Yes, over the top, oh, yeah. over the ark. I don't Yes. Inside. Inside. So the, the yeah. two the the, the, the the tents are reversed. Okay. In the in the initial in the initial one, Moshe is in the tent with his little sidekick, Joshua, and the Lord comes and is outside. And then they talk face to face. Now that's an interesting thought even on itself. And everybody else is watching. I mean, what they all thought, I've got no idea. But they all worship when they certain when they see it. That's what they do. That's definite. And then when we get into the Mishkan, we reverse it. God is inside and the, everybody has to stand on the outside or the closest you can get is, is if there's a, a, a curtain. So there's a, there's a slight difference. However, the name, the Ohel Moed, the same name is applied to both tents, to both places. So this one is a temporary one until the real one was built in Exodus 33. Well, they're both real. That's true. Okay. 
And, and I know that our, our normal way of thinking is one is just the holding pattern for the real one. What, what we should never do is take away from the fact that God still met Moses in this other tent. That was real. And so who cared? Moses probably didn't care right then. Well, I can't wait for the real tent to show up. You know, uh, I've just got God standing out the front of my doorway, but no, I'm, I'm really hanging out for the real tent. Um, it's true that one leads to another. We should never take away from the, the sanctity and the holiness and the value of either one. That, that, that we, we, should, we, should, we, we should appreciate both. But actually what I'm trying to get at is in the name. The name, or Helmoed, is, is used for one and then it's transferred to another. Yeah. Think on the uh, temple. Because God needs a holy place. That's in a good Exodus question. 33. God needs a holy place. Are you sure? Well, in Exodus 33, 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I, I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Right. You can't Sh- have them if they're unholy, right? Sure, sure it's, it's the other way around. The Lord has to have the tabernacle or the Mishnah for us to meet him because we can't come into his presence. He has to make a place that we can meet him, and that's the reason. Right on. Right? Right on. There, is, there is that aspect. So, Sharon, there's, there's that aspect that God is so holy, and if we never meet him, we're in trouble. There's the aspect that David's talking about. We need a special place where we can meet God because God doesn't want to not meet with us. But also remember the other texts that are in, keep everything in tension. Don't you love the way the Hebrew just has it in tension? God says in Exodus, build me a tabernacle, build me a mishkan, because I want to live where? Amongst you. Yes. I don't want to live in it. Mm. Right? That, remember what the Hebrew says, I need, uh, build me a mishkan because I want to live bechem. I want to live in you. Well, yeah. if, if God lives in us and his very presence incinerates us and we all burst into flames because we're so unholy and he's so righteous, well, then obviously none of us are going to want that. After God had said that sentence, build me a tabernacle because I want to live in you, we would have sat down and said, uh, no, it's okay, we're fine. Um, you stay in heaven and we'll just contemplate you from a distance. It's, it's an incredible thought that we've got to put it all together. But what I'm trying to think of is, is, is think this, the name and its meaning move from one tent to another tent. We have a temple. What does that move to? It's because we live, so it's according to his way. So no, I, I, I have the answer. It's, it's Go right amazing. ahead, Rabbi. It's uh, called Beit Amikdash, so it was uh, not temporary, it was permanently. So it's a Beit Amikdash. Okay, a house? Yep. Yeah, it's a house. And I also have the answer for your first question here. I finally found it in the Talmud, <laughs> It took me for a while to understand this Aramic reading. So the same discussion is also written here. If you would like to hear, I can read it a bit. It says traditional and critical scholars agree that the Ochel Moed, tent of meeting Moses erects in Exodus 33, it's not the same as the Ochel Moed tabernacle. Yes. Here it says, Ibn Ezra says that the tent that described here was a temporary structure that was only used until the real tabernacle was built. That's why Moshe had to go out of the camp because the the center of the camp was uh, basically a, a construction zone. 
they were building the uh, tabernacle. So, in Exodus 40, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, the Ohel Ma'ed, and the glory of the Lord filled the Mishkan. It, it, it appears that both tents were actually in operation together simultaneously. And eventually the Shekinah, the glory of the Lord, went into the Mishkan. Now, it then gets later called the Ohel Moed. The, the title moves. What I'm, what I'm trying to get to is the theological point of this. We had a Beit Mikdash. We had a temple. That's absolutely true. Stood solid. Then it got destroyed. Then we built another one. But we still have another temple. Who is it? No. It's us. Lord yes. Jesus. yes, the theology is already there. You can take a name. And it can be incredibly special. It can be a place where God meets you. It can be a place where God comes and meets face to face. And then you can move it. And then that, that whole idea is that we had a temple. Absolutely true. Does not take away from the value of the temple. Does not take away from the majesty of the temple. Does not take away of the glory of the temple. Does not take away anything to do with the holy hill. And yet, theologically, you can still turn around and take that title temple and apply it to something else. And Paul does when he says, don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? All that we've discussed and, and leading up with the sacrifice and everything talk about it, when we cross-reference to Hebrews 13, 10 to 13, 10 to 13, we, Paul tells us, right, that one of the reasons that we seem to see, as, as, as Mordecai said, the tent has come out, so there's something very significant about that, is that wherefore also I'm going to read just the last two verses of Hebrews 13, 12, and 13. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. So that's the principle, right? Yes. Absolutely fantastic, David. And it mimics what Andrew says in our chat. In the chat box, I'll just read it out. Yeshua was crucified outside the city, outside the camp, just what Hebrews are saying. The cross, okay, the slav, the sacrifice, is our tent of meeting. Okay? So you can see the theology runs on all levels. You can see it on one level, the tent of meetings outside the camp. We meet Messiah outside the camp, the cross, etc., etc. At the same time, the title moves to another building, moves to another location, and then becomes us ourselves. And so it doesn't take away from any of those structures. Those structures are still valid. They're still fantastic. There's still things, things happened in them. And, uh, and, and, and you can see it all, all uh, come around. Yes. In um, uh, Exodus 37, it's, I think you already read the Reverend. It says Moshe would take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. So basically this Ohel Moed in this chapter is a simpler structure that could be moved around and pitched. So it has a deeper meaning, of course. You see the God's divine presence come onto that tent as well. Yeah. Well, well, it's very yeah, of, of any size. So yeah, you're right. It could have been a small one and the yeah. Mishkan could have been a big one. And just like the Holy Spirit falls on the big, the small, you know, the fat, the skinny, they the black, the white. Yeah. He doesn't care. Yeah. Okay, Shimshon, your hands raised. Yeah. Um, from Exodus 34, we, it seems to be the same tent 
that is called the Mishkan. Um, the Ohel Mohed is referred to as the Mishkan also. And um, it, it's kind of, I mean, my, my, my theory before now is that when we talk about the Mishkan, we talk about the um, Ohel Mohed, we are talking about the same thing. We're talking about the same structure. But now from our reading here, it's looking as if it's two different structures. Right. And um, right. it's, um, it's uh, I'm trying to wrap my head around it um, because I've, I've lived with this concept of one structure all this while. So it, it's, um, and um, does it mean that um, Moses, okay, like where it says, um, I think it was 34, that when the Mishkan was, um, was, was uh, when the um, head was, um, Moses was there, then the cloud came upon the Mishkan. That means it, Moses is in one place and the cloud is coming somewhere else. Does, is yes. that what it means? It's an incredible thought. I'm with you. About two or three years ago, I believe there was only one tent, and that's just the way it was. And uh, now I discovered, because the actual text says, well, actually, there was this other one, but the name gets incorporated into the Mishkan. Eventually, those two names become one. And, one. and just like the temple, though the temple does not exist, the idea yeah. of the temple, the concept, well, that can still be applied to us. And so all of that, all of those blessings, the ideas, the, the, of, that, of that holiness idea of a building can, can actually be implied to a, a human being. Um, which is incredible when you think about it. So anyway, there you go. God calls to Moses and from the tent of meeting, which it doesn't matter where it is, but the point is theologically it can change. And so from another level, pointing towards the Messiah and what he can do, because all of the book is about me, we can become the temple of the Lord. And then God speaks and he says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring an offering of uh, livestock, of the herd and of the flock. The uh, word here uh, for Devayel uh, B'nai Israel, so speak to the sons of Israel, of Amat Lehem, and say to them, um, Adam, when a person, Kikariv, wants to come and offer a korban, Okay, he wants to come close and offer a korban to, to God. Uh, you can do it from either the uh, cattle or the, the flock, like the bakar on different types of animals, okay, domesticated and non-domesticated. Non um, the Hebrew for sacrifice is korban. It comes from the verb. Arab to draw yeah. near. To draw near, to get mm -hmm. close. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's this desire of the worshiper to draw close to the Lord. Now, often when we start talking about sacrifices, we usually start, you know, start having heart palpitations and, and uh, think all kinds of cults and weird, this is that and the others. But we forget the actual intention. Okay? The intention was to draw close to God. And that is a good thing. Okay. Um, why do you think you can't use fish? Any ideas? It has to be from the livestock or from the... Yeah, you know, it'd, it'd be dead. It would break. Maybe. Okay, that's, that's, that, that might be a good point. Yeah. 
can't kill something that's already dead. Yeah. Obviously, no one thought of goldfish or something like that. And I brought the Lord, my little goldfish. I'm going to stand here, dip it in there, whack it on the head, and there you are, Jesus. You know? But fish are out, okay? Fish are never used as a sacrifice for little guys. Um, but they're it's just because of the blood? Because fish don't have much blood, but maybe I'm wrong. But they would know. also sacrifice, uh, I mean, some of the sacrifices had meal offerings, so it does Yeah, there's no blood, yes. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I honestly don't know. There's, there's, there is sacrifices in the Bible are either from animals that uh, usually have four legs uh, or birds. I have an But they're, they're no fish and, uh, and all grain. Ah, uh, Rabbi, what have you got for a... Uh, well, it's from your uh, Midrash Tanhuma, actually. <laughs> you probably know it. Why do we offer up sacrifices from birds, <laughs> sheep, goats, but not from fish? Because they, animals and birds, resemble men as they are born from the stomach of their mother like men. Thus they atone for men. Fish, however, are eggs that they emerge from and lie. Okay. Okay, so it's got to do with it's got to do with um, their resemblance uh, to the way we were created and the way we, we produce. But birds, uh, birds are also from eggs. Okay. Well, no. It's the birds, I think, of a uh, bird is a bit different. It still comes from the stomach somehow. Could it be the, the concept of the legs, Mahdi? Because, you know, the whole thing about the serpent walking and then went to the, you know, no legs. Could that... Have any? <laughs> it's, 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 it's one of those things. The, the Bible doesn't say the reason why, but you can see that Tanhuma, which is a midrash from about 1,600 years ago, yeah. was also asking the same thing. Uh, why can't I use a fish? You know, here I am on the Galilee. I've just caught a St. Peter's fish. Don't even know why it's called St. Peter's fish, but I'm going to call that anyway. And uh, can, I, can I use it to uh, worship the Lord? And everyone goes, no. Oh, I'll start a restaurant then. Um, so got nothing else to do with it. Could but, it be uh, that fish is cold blooded? Yeah, could be. But the point is, the sacrifice is a is a korban, and it's something that you draw close to the Lord. Our problem is when we think of sacrifices, we 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 start to shudder and shake, and we have all kinds of heart palpitations, and. And, um, and here's my next question. And I know Vida and David have probably heard me say this before in Bible studies. Does anyone here like eating steak? Hands go up. Some double hands go up. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, it's, if someone says, Aaron, you know, I'm really going to treat you out to dinner, what would you like? You know, I say, steak dinner, please. Killing a cow for me, well, that's fine. Killing a cow for God, somehow that's bad. Uh, How did that happen? And and that when you start thinking like that, it's like killing a cow for me. Well, that's fine. Killing a cow for my friends to have dinner. Well, that's fine. Kill yeah. a cow for God. Oh no! Well, that no no no. We can't do that. Yeah, that's why when the if, you know the, the the next temple comes up, all the it's going to be a, a tough one. Huh? Here, here, let, let's, let, let's be careful. Don't 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 put in my mouth. Okay, we should all start animal sacrifices right now. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is take a look at the way we view sacrifices. We view sacrifices as something negative. Why do we do that? We kill animals all the time for ourselves. We really do. 
massive amounts of chickens, cows, fish, I mean, all kinds of animals and things are dying. Can but as soon as we ever want to do something for the Lord, well, that's a little act, well, that, that we can't do. The, the, the korban, its name means to draw close to God. It's got to be intention. It's got okay. nothing to do with anything else. And I hope that as we go through Leviticus, we're going to discover that what Moses is actually writing, he's trying to say, I really want your heart. I really want your intention. In fact, when we, when we, when we get to Deuteronomy, re remember when we studied, he, he didn't even talk about sacrifices hardly at all. He, it really wasn't interesting to him. Um, he's, he's interested in the heart of the worshiper. Um, of course, we will see in the verse 3, uh, Ola. Yes, okay. So I'll, I'll do Ruth's um, hand. You got a hand raised, Ruth? Yeah, it's just I, so I have I've had a conversation in the past with someone who um, loved animals, didn't ever eat them, and therefore they had an issue with this. So I, I didn't know quite how to get around it, really, because I totally get we eat because we, and it's killing and it's us eating, but someone who doesn't, that is a huge thing for them. Yeah, that, absolutely, Ruth. Um, I'm going to probably go out on the limb to say that in the Second Temple period, in Moses' time, there probably wasn't a lot of vegetarians, but it's possible. And it is true in the modern day for those vegetarians, and there are many people here in Israel that are vegetarian. If you are a vegetarian, Israel's a really good country for you. Half our food is actually vegetarian here, okay? Um, meat's actually just too expensive. Do you know so the reason? It was that. <laughs> Because kosher is expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's too expensive. That's right. It's too expensive. But um, and 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 what Ruth was saying holds holds for the future temple. I remember speaking at a messianic synagogue. It was actually Eric Latikos's community, and it happened to be that the parasha reading, the haftarah, was on Ezekiel, and which was discussing the next temple which was discussing sacrifices. So, you know, we read the passage and got up to say a few words. And as we were doing the coffee fellowship time at the end, this lady comes up and she says, you know, I've got, just like Ruth said, I've got a real issue with this. I'm a vegetarian. So why would God, you know, want sacrifices? And all I could say was, you're a vegetarian. Like, why do you think God's a vegetarian? <laughs> like, where, where did you get that idea from? You might be one. And that's fantastic. But please don't take your personal dietary preference and superimpose it upon God. I mean, it's, it's, it's a humanistic world. Sure, absolutely, totally. But it is yep. interesting. Um, okay, hand raised, Vida. A quick question, and maybe Mordecai can answer this. It's when you look at, I'm just jumping a bit with these sacrifices. When we look at verse five, we see bulls, bullocks being offered. Then in verse, I think, 11 or 12, it talks about the sheep. And then in 14, it later talks about the bird. So it seems to be a, a level, and the bullocks seem to be the higher than the sheep. Mm. However, when we look at the Old Testament, the stories, we see like um, Jacob having sheep. He, bullocks don't, bulls don't, cows don't seem to be a feature, and yet they seem to be higher preference in the sacrifice than sheep. You know, that's a, I've never thought of that, Vida. That's a really good point. Most of the shepherds of Israel are, are shepherds of sheep, not, not cattle. Interesting. But just remember, the point, what, what I'm trying to make in terms of the point, is these sacrifices are, are things that draw you close to the Lord. And there's a desire 
to be close to the Lord. Remember, it's a calling. God is calling. Do I want to answer the call or do I not? If I do want to answer the call and come close to God, well, then I bring him an offering. I bring him a sacrifice. For what purpose? Let's read verse 3 and then uh, uh, our, our Rav can uh, perhaps mention what it is. So verse 3, if his offering, which in Hebrew is an olah, so now we've, we've taken away from the word korban, which is sacrifice, and we've gone to Pacific word. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without a blemish, and he shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. So first of all, what is an elevation offering? So what was the reason to offer something like that? So why do you call it, why do you call it an, an elevation offering? I will come to that. Briefly, I want to give a background about the, the thing. It's a called an Ola offering, an elevation offering, and it should uh, be brought by someone who has intentionally committed a sin which the Torah has no punishment for it. This is the reason. The secondly, Rabbi Hirsch, it's a, it's a great stage, comments that the offering names reflects its purpose, which is to raise the owner from the status of a sinner and bring him to a steady state of a spiritual elevation. So basically, Allah elevation is to help the sinner to become clean and come close to God to elevate him to the spiritual level. That's, acceptable that's acceptable to God, eh, Amari? Yeah, yeah, correct. To a state of spiritual elevation, which was acceptable by God. And that's, that's why it's called Allah. And in Israel, we still have something, something uh, similar to that. New immigrants called Ole Hadash. Why? Because we believe that when someone make, makes Aliyah, he basically elevates himself from a lower level to an upper level. That's why when you make Aliyah to the Torah, it's also called the same thing, Aliyah, Ole. They all came from, come from the same root. So it brings you to a bit more spiritual level and a bit more closer to God. So let's, let's, let's go back uh, to, to some of the things um, uh, Rabbi said. Ola, okay, there's, it, it's, it's, an, it's going up. It's, it's uh, ascending from a lower level to a higher level. So you're drawing closer to the Lord, going from a certain stage to a higher stage. Your, um, it's to do with a sin, but without a punishment. Can you ever think of such a thing? You know, our brains normally can't think of such a thing. Like the, 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 the sacrifice does not say, if you've sinned like this, this is what you do. In fact, the sin, the, sorry, the ola is a free will offering. And it starts with the phrase in Hebrew, im ola. With, if. If. It's good. You mean you don't have to. But hang on. I've just sinned. But there's a sin without a punishment. You go, hang on. And your brain goes off into all kinds of spaces. <laughs> um, well, Aaron, just a real quick thought, because verse 4 says, uh, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make up atonement. For his correct. Life. But it's without a punishment. Like there's no, like we, we don't know what he's done. 
We don't know what the, like, there's, there's, there's other korbanot uh, other for definite other sins, and we'll get to them in Leviticus. But this one is a if free will. Right, but for but his, for his sin. Yes, but it's free will. So think. If you've actually sinned, what was what would you what there's no you must do this to get rid of your sin. This is free will. But, but still, but still, but still there's the shedding of blood. Without without right. the shedding of blood, there is no atonement, right? Yeah. Yes. And we, we go yeah. It's a quite a punishment, don't you think? <laughs> but but still after after if we follow through in the context, the next verse or two is gonna say he sprinkles the blood. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time, every time you do with any any sacrifice, you do something with the blood, and then depending on the type of sacrifice, it's depending on whether you eat it or whether you you do other certain things with it. But there's no punishment on the person if he doesn't do it. Why are you saying that, Aaron? Like there's punishment. The bull took it. He died. It didn't feel good. <laughs> no, but the bull the bull's not going to feel good if I want a steak. The bull not going to feel good. Period. Dietary preferences. The the funny thing about bulls is they just end up not having a very nice life. Okay, that's just the way it is. Marty, what were you going to say, Marty? If you look at the other korbanot, the old korbanot should be performed willingly. Nobody can force you to do that. If you live in Tiberias, who's going to ask you if you did it or not? It's all up to you. And here it explains the Jewish soul always wants to do the right thing. That's why God didn't force them to do so. But, 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 but Marty, how, how then does that work with Yom Kippur? Because the, the, the high priest is going to sacrifice for the nation too, right? Yeah. So even, even if I didn't want to do that, I'm still covered? Of course. Like, look, there are tefillahs, there are commandments. And if a Jew doesn't commit the commandments, so what's going to happen to him? If, does he die? No. No, he still bears his own sin unless yeah. he lets the bull take it, right? Yeah, sure, but uh, it's all up to him. He needs to do it voluntarily. The, the, point, the point of the thing that we're discussing, remember, let's always keep, keep to the core, is it's got to be willing. Yes. It's got to be free will. Right. It can't be, and that's what the text says, if, if he brings, it's got to be free will. And 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 because uh, it can't be forced, it, it can't be, a, and, and that's the thing. We've yeah. got to go down this, to think that the, the temple, the whole idea of the temple and all the sacrificial system, it is not something forced. Someone's responding to a call, and the call, yes, in verse four, is going to make an atonement. It is going to cover. Okay, so uh, Vida, you've got a hand up. Yeah, uh, Aaron, it's me, sorry. Uh, and I've got so, then, no, then Tom, then Yvonne, yeah. Okay, right. What, what I was thinking of is, is this willing sacrifice. This is reflected in the fact that Lord Jesus went willingly to the cross and also we have to willingly accept the Lord. I was about yes. to say the same thing, you know, at the garden. Yep. God Perfect. gave Peter some money. Peter wanted to kill them, right? And he yep. told him no. He willingly and voluntarily wanted to continue to his journey. So everything based on your free will. This is not Islam. We are not talking about Islam. <laughs> yeah. This is, David, uh, Moti, this is, this is all correct. Think on the heart of God and eventually also look at the, at the Messiah. Messiah is willing. He's completely willing. He even accepts his own calling, even though, I know, it's kind of weird when you start thinking like that. 
He's, um, and I uh, didn't have to, but, but he does. Um, and, and then we and willingly accept his forgiveness. Correct. As a, as a, was it willingly, willingly free will accept. And the Israelites willingly accept the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu willingly accepted his call. Correct. Yep. Tom, you're up. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> a couple of thoughts. One is that usually the sacrifices were for unintentional sin, not intentional sin. That is correct. And so um, one of the things that you can think about that is a tradition in a lot of ancient cultures is when you go to visit someone or you go to have engaged with them, um, there is some usually tradition of some kind that asks for forgiveness for anything that you may have done that it offended so that you could be honest with the person, especially if you're going to speak to a king or someone of higher rank. So one of the things that, that I'm wondering about is, is if the sacrifice isn't a way of coming before God and simply saying, and, and this is why it has to be free will, is that uh, uh, pardon me for any offenses that I may have, uh, may have uh, done that, I, that, I, that either I did or didn't know about or had forgotten about. So it, in a way, it's it's kind of a coming clean, which is interesting because that's kind of prefigured or that kind of prefigures a way of uh, the, the, uh, uh, the extra unction in the Catholic service where you have last rites, where you before you go to meet God and, and you're on your deathbed, you have this cleansing ritual that you ask for forgiveness of anything that you did or may not have done that is intentional or unintentional. To be able to come into his presence to be cleaned. And yeah, the other thing we have that in the um, Book of Common Prayer, the Anglicans too. That's yeah. that's right. That's that's right. It's it's a little more formal and extra function, but it's it's yeah. it's in both it's in both services since since uh, as as the Anglicans say, the Reformed Catholics. It's it's there. <laughs> Well, there, there was this there was this dying Armenian, and uh, I have I was told to go give him last rites. So I got my little prayer book out, and you know, I got the oil out, and I did the prayer, and the oil, and then he got better, so he didn't die. And so then I was talking to him, and then things started going bad, and it looked like he was going to die again. So I got my prayer book out, done with oil, did another prayer, and he got better. And I said, okay, that's it. I'm not praying anymore. You know, you're not going to die. So it's, it's done like <laughs> that's right. We're going to stop now, and you're going to live. We're stopping now. Yeah. And and the other thing that. When you're talking about the the the, uh, the the different animals, one of the things that's interesting is because these are are free will sin offerings, and you have the grain offerings all the way up to the bulls, and you look at that what has kind of been dictated is that you do what you can afford, and in that part of the world, it is it does not really lend itself to grazing of cattle because cattle are very vegetation uh, intensive. So that's something very, very special. So if you think if there's a hierarchy to the uh, to the organization, if you will, or to, to to the society, then the higher level of society should be would be required to have something that is maybe a of higher economic value. And if you go all the way to the extreme, uh, not only are you sacrificing for the sins, but how do you dedicate an altar? In order to dedicate the altar, you need a a, 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 a flawless red heifer. Something that's that's not only very intensive to raise, but extremely rare. Yeah. Both for color and for the fact that it's blemish free. Yeah. So you know, as you look at these things, you can see that a hierarchy is in place, maybe to stop further argument or future argument and allow 
he who was of any means to be able to come to God with what he could afford. It's possible. Yeah, yeah. And, I, would, I would say bring yes. his peace offering, if you will, to say, okay, Lord, allow me in your presence. So I'm going to go to Yvonne in a minute, but I just want to say just in summary that it's true most of the sacrifices in Leviticus are actually for unintentional sin. We haven't got to that part yet. We will. Currently in our text, it doesn't say that. So as, as we're just reading the text through, we, 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 we learn it's a calling. God speaks. There is this desire to come close to the Lord. We can, um, we can take titles of things and move them, and that's fine. You know, tent of meeting, this, this, uh, to, the, to the Mishkan, to the temple, to the, your bodies being the temple. And, um, and these, these olah, they raise us up. They get us close to the Lord. They're, they're very powerful, but they've got to be free will. It's, it's a, it can't be something forced. It's got to be. Uh, and, and these are all, as we know, foreshadows. They're all echoes of the Messiah. And, but at the same time, they're also us as well. Okay? So there's going to be parts of where the Messiah fits into this picture, and there's going to be parts where we respond to as followers of the Messiah. So Yvonne? Wow, I <laughs> I have a lot. I have a couple things that um, used to be. I used to believe, oh, okay, so Yeshua, you know, he died. He covered, you know, that without the shedding of blood, and 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 uh, you know, he sacrificed, shed his blood. It's the Kippur. We're under that. So, but then um, after you know studying Leviticus and and going through Leviticus and understanding, there's the most of those offerings are for unintentional. In, in the in the almost in the totality, there's a few. So the intentional, what would happen? It would either people would either die, there would there, there would be a punishment for death or reparation. Part of the three, one of the three willing voluntary is the mincha, which is doesn't have blood at all. And it's of course voluntary for non-intentional. So it doesn't have blood. So and, and then Aaron, I remember talking a lot about how in Nineveh, right, they all did, there was no blood and, um, and other, you know, other situations in the Bible, no blood. And so that it's in the, it's in the the Bible readings on last Sunday, for those Mm. that followed the, um, the lectionary, the Christ um, church. Yeah, I did. Well, one Kings eight, Solomon stands in front of the temple. Kate knows because uh, she heard me preach. Uh, if she remembers, she might not actually remember what I said. She might just think, oh, his accent was fine, but I can't remember what he said, and, um, which is very possible. And, but Solomon stands and he says, when the stranger, you know that crazy Gentile who's nowhere near, the, near Israel at all, when he comes here and he prays, hear from heaven and forgive. Mm-hmm. There's not one mention of sacrifice. Right. So, so that totally yeah. shook my whole, like, Understand. So before, yeah. So I'm gonna, Aaron. I have another question for you, but before I, I, I just so that shook me all up. Then I was like, oh, so there, you know, no blood in Nineveh. Okay, this con- first kings, and then we have the Mincha, and and it's mostly involuntary. So that's, and then I'm gonna come to my 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 question. <laughs> before that, though, I do want to say one observation: the the um the vo- willing the the uh, voluntary offerings, which were the Nedava, it shows how and why the offering and the type of animal. For the Hova, which is the mandatory, which is the last, I think, chapters five and six of Leviticus, it's, a, it's arranged by the type of transgression and who transgressed. So it's interesting the differentiation between those two. But 
going back to the whole issue of the, you know, the blood and, 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 and the coverings, and, and actually there is remission many times in the Bible without the shedding of blood, then again, the, so then the, uh, the sins that, that are, are voluntary with the high hand, right? The yad, whatever that high hand is death reparation. So then the question is, did Yeshua come? His death was for involuntary sins. Right. No, you've got, you got to hold it all in tension. You have a verse in, in that says, without the shedding of blood, there's no, no remission of sins. You have the right. tension that most sacrifices are for unintentional sins. But at the same yes. time, you've got to remember, put it all into all into its theology. It's a calling. It's a it's willing. It's uh, it's voluntary. It's a covering. It's all of these things wrapped up in one. It's not just so simple as oh, just no, no, one. exactly. It is it's, so complex. Yes. So then, yeah. did Yeshua come for the involuntary? Yeshua I mean, came for everyone. Remember, right. he, but at the same all, time, at the same right. at the very but same how, time. Remember what he says in Passover. This is my blood, which is shed for many, many. many. What what is the word that's not there? Oh, yes. Mm. Remember what's not in the text is just as important as what is. This is my blood, which is shed for many. Well, why is it not shed for everyone? Well, if it was shed for everyone, you'd all be in heaven. Congratulations, Adolf Hitler. You made it. You know, and like what? How'd that guy get in here? Yeah. it, it, it it's a it's a it's, it's a lot more complicated I, I, let's keep that for the end of the book let's just focus on the few verses we've got right now as it's building up that we're hearing a calling from the lord we all want to hear a calling from the lord i know you do i know you do i know i do and we want to respond and we want to respond with willingness we want to come to that place the tent of meeting where is that well it could be a special building like our churches and our holy places it could be places online like Online churches, uh, online Zoom meetings. Um, it could be in the person sitting next to you. Because remember, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So it could even just be sitting in your own room by yourself, picking up the Bible and talking, or even without a Bible. But the Lord, the, the, all of those things are 100% true. That doesn't take away from a holy building. That doesn't take away from a community gathering. Uh, we've got to keep each of those uh, uh, as valid in, a, in, in and of itself. Uh, last comment, Vida. I have to say before Vida speaks, you know, it's pretty amazing that a bunch of Gentiles can talk for over an hour and a half on three verses of Leviticus, okay? <laughs> All right? Now, that's pretty awesome. When you, when you look at what, what's actually in the Bible and how it all speaks about God and his Messiah, it's, it's pretty amazing that a bunch of boys can, can, can can get wrapped up in this text. Okay, Vida, you're up. If I remember correctly, that these offerings, there's an offering in the morning, afternoon, and evening every day, seven days a week. And if this is uh-huh. free will offerings, then I was just thinking how the Jewish people over time, to have to think to free willingly do these offerings, did they have to, every person do it three times a day? I mean, that's really quite a burden. Yeah. So that's my question: Is over time that free willingness actually becomes okay. resentment? If, well, you know, let's, let's you ask. Know. Let's ask the Jewish rabbi. <laughs> well, here is the thing: We no longer have the base of Mikdosh. Bezat Hashem, we will have one day, but we still pray three times a day. 
willingly. Nobody forces us to pray. It's not a burden, Baruch Hashem. We like, we enjoy yes, praying it sometimes. Yeah. No, but the, but the sacrifices would have been busy, right? Well, yes. We also got to remember that there were times when the temple didn't exist, like in the book of Daniel, and he doesn't seem to be bothered about it. When they were in Babylon, there was no blood, and they, they yes. were and forgiven. And when, 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 when uh, Paul goes to visit the Jewish people in Athens and Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi, none of them are anywhere near a temple. None of them are sacrificing at all. And not, not, Paul doesn't even chastise them. At they, all. Probably, they probably went to Yerushalayim for like at least once a year. Yes, so that's right. So then, then you get this idea of the pilgrimage, of the idea of showing up maybe once every couple of years, or maybe your community sending a shlichim, some, 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 some guys to show, represent you maybe once a year. Um, th those sort of things we can talk about as we begin to go through the commands. Uh, but, but for right now, we've only done a few verses and we've only just touched on the book. The book is called And God Called. It's a calling. Everything that happens, our, our life, our response to him is a call. And, uh, and, and uh, we, have, we always have a special place to meet. And those special places to meet could be family, could be houses, could be communities, could be buildings. The point is you meet. And, uh, and you don't meet because you're forced to. You meet because you want to. You've willingly answered the call, just like the messiah did all right guys there's a lot there please join us again uh, next week for those of you that are online and um keep safe thank you for listening our sermons and bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms spotify apple podcast google podcasts and more sermons can also be found on youtube Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King. <laughs>